for 35 chapters, God is silent. For 35 chapters, God doesn't say a word. For 35 chapters, Job cries out in anger, pain, loss, and sadness. And for 35 chapters, his misguided friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu, well, they deliberate, consternate, they pontificate, and exasperate. But here in our text, chapter 38 of Job, God speaks. And what God reveals is awesome. Such power, such wisdom, such awesome greatness. Indeed, who can stand the words of El Shaddai, God Almighty? Thus he begins by warning Job, brace yourself like a man. And when God speaks, it is according to his character, not like what we humans would do. When we humans ask when, where, why, and what questions, we tend to explain, deflect, disseminate, and obfuscate. But not God. God owes no one an explanation. God can do what he wants to do. He is beholden to no one. And so what does God do? Instead of giving Job an explanation, God gives him a revelation. For 35 chapters, God is silent, but no more. God finally speaks. Out of the storm, he thunders. In the midst of the storm, God speaks. To the father who has handed a rose off of his son's coffin, God speaks. To the wife who has given a folded flag from her husband's casket, God speaks. To the barren couple with fervent prayer, God speaks. To anyone who has tried to see God through shattered glass, God speaks. In the midst of the storms, God speaks and his voice thunders with power and majesty and authority. Job 38, verse 1. Then Yahweh answered Job out of the storm. When God speaks, he speaks to us according to to his character. It was a mighty storm, a huge storm, towering thunderclouds, replete with lightning flashing across the sky. It was a massive show of force, a category five storm for a category five kind of God. And now, for the first time since chapters one and two, the name Yahweh appears. From chapters 3 through chapters 37 of Job, people called him Elohim or El Shaddai, meaning God or God Almighty. But here in chapter 38, 
Yahweh reappears. Why is that significant? Because Yahweh is God's personal name. In Exodus 3.14, Moses asks God his name. And out of the burning bush, God says, yeah, yeah, I am who I am. And this is the name that Jesus asserts is also his name. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. No one dares speak the name Yahweh unless they are personally known by him. You see, for 35 chapters, Job had been questioning God. Where are you? Why is this happening to me? When will this all end? How could you do this to me? But those are not the most important question. The most important question is who? Who is behind all of this? And God answers that in chapters 38 to 41. And what Job discovers there when God speaks is that God does not give him an explanation. No, Job receives a revelation from God. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? God thunders, and cowering Job doesn't respond. Gird yourself like a man, and I will ask you questions, and you will answer me. And Job quakes like the cowardly lion. God asks, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you know so much. Do you know how its dimensions were determined and how and who did the surveying? What supports these foundations? Who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? You see, God has turned the tables on Job now. Instead of Job asking questions, God is asking the questions. Divine questions poured out on Job like sheets of rain, dancing around in the chambers of his heart with a wildness and a beauty and a terror that leaves any Job to have ever lived drenched and amazed and absolutely speechless. <laughs> God questions Job. And in those verse chapters, 38 to 41, God asks him 70, count them, 70 questions. And the point of it all? Job needs to let God be God. There is a God and Job is not he. To underscore this, God, the creator, uh, talks about the vastness of the universe and its infinite complexity. The sun is 109 times larger than the earth. You can fit a million earths 
inside the volume of the sun. And the sun is just one star in the Milky Way. There are a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way. And how big is this Milky Way? Well, it is 104,000 light years across. How far is that in distance? Well, light travels at what? 186,000 miles a second. In one second, it can go around the Earth seven and three quarters times. One second. So multiply 186,000 by 60 for minutes, by 60 more for, uh, for, uh, for the hour, by 24 hours in a day, by 365 days in a year. And you come up with uh, about 6 trillion miles in a year. Now, multiply 6 trillion by 104,000, and you have the diameter of the Milky Way. What's more, according to astronomers using the Hubble Space Telescope, the Milky Way is just one galaxy among 250 billion galaxies in this universe. Immense beyond human comprehension. And Yahweh did this. Can you see it, Job? Asks God. Can you, under, can you rejoice in it as I do? The morning stars sing for joy because of who I am and what, have I, what I have done. Can you rejoice in it too, Job? Can you be my equal? Can you grasp how immense the universe is? Can you match my wisdom, my skill, my ability, my power? Can you, Job, answer me? And after being pummeled by question after question, Job, against better judgment, musters up an answer. And his answer is, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Job gets it. He finally gets it. He understands he's been acting like an insolent teenager. He's been acting like the water boy telling Larry Bird how to shoot a basketball, or a bad boy telling Ty Cobb how to hit a baseball, or a caddy telling Jack Nicholas how to pot a golf ball. He has been the pot telling the potter what to do. But finally, Job gets it. And what does Job do? He surrenders. And when he surrenders to God, God doesn't give him an explanation, but God gives him a revelation. You and I know how hard it is to surrender, right? We know how difficult that is. Humility is not something that we're good at. Surrender is not in our vocabulary. We think that we control our lives. We think we can plan our days, that we can map out our years in front of us. 
we think that we've got this life, you know, we don't have to necessarily follow God's will all the time. Even when we're surrounded by people who give us wise, godly counsel, and we see the signs around us, we still bullheadedly go our own way. We're like, our prayers are more like, God bless the plans I have made, rather than God reveal to me your plans. I'm here to tell you it doesn't work to do that. You can't push God off the throne. God is God and he will do what he wants. And what God does is he comes to us with a revelation like his son. He comes to us in Christ. And this is what is revealed in scripture to us. That this God who wrapped himself in a storm also wrapped himself in human flesh. God in Christ became human flesh to hold us in his arms, to heal our hurts, to destroy our dark darkness. He didn't come as an infant to show us the innocence of infancy. He came to live the life that we couldn't live and bear the punishment that we could not bear. This almighty God who created the universe that has all power decided one day to use none of that power and allowed himself to be nailed to a tree, planted in a hole on an ash heap called Golgotha. And there the wrath of God rained down on him. The thunderous voice of God condemning him, calling him to account for the sins of the world, making him endure the wages of sin, death itself. But being God, death could not hold Jesus. He broke the chains of death and now offers life and salvation to anyone who surrenders in faith to believe in him. So the question today is, do you get it? Do you really get it? We have a God who is not distant, far off, disconnected from us. We have a God who is with us, who is here in Jesus Christ. Are you broken? He was broken. Are you hurting? He hurt. Do you bleed? He bled. Do you cry? He cried. We have a God who is present with us. And on that day, when we are in the glory of the, of the eternal light, living before our Yahweh, because Jesus lives, we'll look back on our lives and on the lives of all Christians and say, He has done all things well. You see, Job started off with an attitude of self-pity and self-assertion. When his life collapsed into one calamity after another, he sunk into grief. Even Job's wife told him to curse God and die. But Job asserted his innocence. He claimed it's not 
his. Then his miserable friends came along and said, well, Job, you really need to adopt the attitude of self-accusation. Come on, Job, they said, you must have done something terrible. Just repent of it and everything will be better. But Job refused to sign a false confession. He maintained his innocence. And then his fourth friend, Elihu, comes along and suggests that he adopts the attitude of self-discipline. He pleads with Job to see that there's purpose in pain, that there's learning in loss, that there's instruction in injury. He pleaded with Job to understand that this is how God works, how the things that he uses to correct us. But finally, Yahweh speaks. And what Yahweh says is that the only attitude that works in the kingdom of God is self-surrender. Falling before God Almighty in reverence, awe, and humility. So do you get it? In the midst of storm, do you call God a fake, a phony, a fraud? Or, in humility, do you learn from Job and surrender to the revelation that God is God, who has loved us eternally in his Son, Jesus Christ? We call it our declaration of dependence. There's only one attitude that works, self-surrender. And what does that look like? We pray it every Sunday. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I dare pray that prayer because a revelation beats an explanation. Every time, all the time.